Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the privilege of being here and thank God most of all for all that he does for us all the time. I do want to express my sincere gratitude to all of you who spent a lot of time praying for me. And I know that um, you took it to heart and you're my friends and I, and I really, truly, truly appreciate it. Um, yes, I... Uh, I'm not going to go into the story of it all right now, but uh, those of you, I came in camp meeting, and I was really, uh, I came a long way for camp meeting. It's a thousand miles, but I thought, I wanted God to heal me. You know, that's what I want. I just wanted to be healed, and God uh, worked it his way and did it the way he wanted it done, and I do thank God for the uh, what I received here at camp meeting, I had had like a cloud of fear. It wasn't like I felt, I didn't, wasn't fearful, but it was just like it just followed me around. You know what I'm saying? Just, it just felt like I was, that was there. And, and I also got confirmation that I felt like that it was an attack from Satan. And the, the two or three other ministers that prayed for me said that's exactly what they felt like would happen to me. Had an attack from Satan. <clears throat> that grabbed a hold of my body. And, and of course, when I, I came and I preached a message, on, I was here and I did my best to preach, but I preached a message on restoration and that God would restore. And, uh, and he has. And I just want to thank him and praise him for that. Um, that. Truly, I shouldn't be alive, according to the doctors, even now, I shouldn't be alive. But I just want to thank God that Life is in his hands, and God is the one who takes care of life, and, and, uh, and I'm thankful that, you know, if it was my time to fly away, I was, I'm ready. I'm ready to fly away. Whatever God wants is what I want, and so I just trust him this morning. He's laid upon, uh, some messages upon my heart, and, and I pray that it will make a difference to you all, and I hope that, I don't know how many are here are as friends. How many came today as a friend? You're a friend of somebody came. Well, thank God, you know. Thank God whoever here has a friend. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm glad you're here. And it really matters. Uh, friends are something very special. And you need to get to, if you haven't got your friend out this morning, bring them out tonight and bring them out the rest of the week. Just bring a friend. And I think it's a great thing. There's nothing greater that you can do for a friend than to reach out to them for the Lord. And for the Lord in their lives is the greatest thing you can do. I'd like for you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shagainoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray, Father, as you've laid upon my heart, O God, these thoughts, I might be able to share them in a way, O God, that can make make a connection to each of our hearts, Lord. We need you, and we need you more than now, more than ever. O Lord, and I just pray, Father, that you'll speak to hearts and souls this morning. O God, only you can do it. 
And I know that, oh Lord, we're relying upon you, oh God, and we ask you, oh God, today that you'll undertake, oh God, for the needs that are present here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk happened up in, showed up in history during the time of captivity. And uh, he was one of many prophets, actually, that was during the time of captivity. And people had, they ended up in captivity because their leadership had gone into idolatry and the people followed through and became an idol-worshiping group of people. And they had one time known the true God. They had one time seen his power and his, his favors and his blessings among them. And, but it got to the place that they had just kind of turned their back. And they had forsaken God. They had forsaken the work of God. They had forsaken the altars. They had forsaken their spiritual lives. And uh, God had given them prophecy after prophecies. If you don't straighten it up, you're going to be led into captivity. You're going to be led into captivity. Well, they were. That's exactly what happened. They were taken down. Nebuchadnezzar came, and I think he came in with a, more than one siege and, and took a groups of them at a time. And we know Daniel and his three friends were some of the ones that was taken in the group, but many of them were taken down, and where the whole country was, was destroyed. In fact, one of the last kings of Judah was taken, and he thought he was going to escape it all by being friends with the guy, but it didn't work that way for him either. He got his eyes gouged out right after he got to see his own son's killed in front of him and he was led in bondage down to into into Babylon and so we find that it was it was just a horrible tragic national calamity that was going on in their whole everybody and it affected it affected the people of God there were a few and thank God for the few that God kept a remnant of people that was still faithful to him that's still willing to serve him even in the midst of the hardest times but many of the people, their lives had, had become very dull and very, uh, very much not, nothing different from the rest of the world around them. They weren't set apart anymore. They weren't chosen like they had been before. And so the, the history, uh, we know, and there had been a time of a partial revival. I don't know if you remember when King Josiah became king. He brought in kind of a partial revival, and he had come in, and he got rid of all the idols and the idol worship, and, you know, and uh, it, was a, it was quite a mess, you know, that was going on during the time of King Josiah. But it didn't go far enough, and his sons and his grandsons continually got worse and worse and worse. And, uh, and so there wasn't enough of a revival that happened to bring people back entirely to the place they needed to be with God. And I think that happens a lot of times today. We have people who, who, find, who feel a moving of God's spirit. They feel a, a slight change. They, and they watch it happen perhaps with other people and other things. But they're not the kind that says, you know what, I'm going to dig in. And I'm going to dig in for myself until I get all I need for God. And so we find that's happening throughout. Well, here we have Habakkuk. He's down in captivity with all of his brothers. And he's getting a word from the Lord that is not only bad, but it's fixing to get worse. I don't know about you, but sometimes that just kind of is hard. It's hard news. Saying, well, things are tough. But guess what? This is what we see happening on the horizon. This is what it looks like is coming our direction. And so even in America today, we have to admit that we got some things that's not going on so good, spiritually speaking, right? 
And there's a, such a push again for even more that's worse than what we got. What a sad thing. What a sad thing. But it is going on. And we find that in uh, Habakkuk's day, the Chaldeans were fixing to come in. And the Lord told them the Chaldeans are going to come in and there's just going to be more violence and more, more of, of what you don't want. A lot of, lot of trouble, troubles. And so uh, Habakkuk, you know, he cries out, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and wilt thou not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and, and thou wilt not save? And so he's just begging God. And God begins to tell him, yeah, I know you're having a hard time, but it's going to get worse. And so, he, and the Lord said, I want to tell you what, I want you to write this message down and I want you to write it plain so everybody who's a, a, trying to run away from this thing can read it and know exactly what's going to happen. He said, what I say is going to happen and it's going to happen and it's going to happen when I say it. Amen. And so, Habakkuk listened to that and the Bible says he was, he says he was afraid. There's something about what Habakkuk, his, his response, his response to the situation was different from a lot of people have today. A lot of people have a response whenever the things get bad, they think, well, then why should I care? What difference does it make what I do? It's all going to be bad, and we know it's going to be bad. We know the world's going to hell, and, and everybody else, and, and you're like, and so what difference does it make what I do? That wasn't the attitude Habakkuk had. Habakkuk had a heart and a desire that is, is going to take him straight to prayer. Now I want to tell you, there's never going to be a turnaround in your life, in anybody's life, outside of prayer. Because you cannot regenerate yourself. You cannot renew yourself. You cannot restore yourself. You can't cause yourself to be born again. Nothing you can do can make that difference. Only God. Only God. Now, so Habakkuk says, he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he begins to this, have this prayer. And this prayer is not just a just not just prayer of any old prophet. It's a prayer that's a very discerning prayer. He wasn't oblivious to what was going on. He wasn't just like his little average little grocery list prayer that he you know, runs down, Lord, and help this, Lord, help this, Lord, help this. It was a passionate prayer. It was a prayer that was absolutely, had full understanding of what was going on because he said, I heard what you said, Lord, and I'm afraid of that. I don't want to see that come about. I don't want to see that things get worse than it already is. Lord, we need you. heard your speech a very discerning prayer he as many other prophets had began to take on him the burden of the people you know I find today there's a lot of people when they need revival they're really not taking on the burden of, of what's going on their idea of of their burden is well I sure would like to have but I don't see the seriousness of what's really, really needed. We don't think about hell very much. I don't. I have to admit, I don't want to think about it. It's something I don't want to think of. 
And yet people are dying every day. And I don't even want to stop and think about, did they go to heaven or hell? I don't, I don't want to think about that. I want to think that everybody went to heaven. And we find today that becomes reflective in almost every funeral sermon that's ever preached. They all went on to heaven. They all went on to heaven. What's the Bible say? What's the real truth of what the Bible says? Does everybody go to heaven? No. No. But when you look at the situation that's going on today, the obliviousness to the, to the truth and, and the, 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 how people just become so engrossed in their own lives and, and good or bad, but they're just not thinking about any consequences. They're not thinking about God and, and what's going to, going to happen. I'm telling you, when you begin to pray with an discernment of that, this, there is going to be the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon the children of disobedience. When you begin to stop and think about that, those people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on that person. That's hard, that's hard for me to think about. But he was thinking about that because he said, I was afraid. His prayer, his prayer was prompted by his knowledge and his understanding of what God was and what God was about to do. Brother Tony mentioned there's a lot of people in the church of America have misrepresented God, and that's exactly right. God is misrepresented everywhere all along the line. And people have created a God of their own liking. And I want to tell you what that is. That's idolatry. They've gone back to idol worship. A lot of people say, well, no, I still worship the true God. But I want to tell you, if you decide that you're going to have a God that only does what you like, and only does what you want, and only blesses just the way you want it blessed, and, and that's the kind of God that you're going to serve, I want to tell you what, that's not God. That's not God. God says who he is, what he's going to do, and how he's going to do it. That's God. It's not us telling him. It was a very discerning prayer. It was an interceding prayer. It was a passionate prayer. Oh God, oh Lord, he cries. Why was it so passionate? Because he could see the impending judgment. He could see the apathy that's going on about the work of God and the things of God. I want to tell you what apathy always is a result. Spiritual apathy is a result of when people become prosperous. In other words, things start going pretty good. And then they get a little prideful. Think, hey, I'm smart enough to get it figured out. They get a little prideful. Then it'll take very long after that to become a little bit more worldly. And after that, they become spiritually apathetic. They have no desire for the things of God like they one time had. Or maybe they never had it. I don't know. But they have no desire. They have no zeal in them. They, are la- they begin to lack a, a, a fire about them, a motivation in them. And it can happen to any one of us. Things can go good, so good, so good, so good, so long that after a while, prayer just doesn't even seem necessary. Doesn't even seem necessary. 
Oh, yeah, we'll still do our prayer. But how much of our life gets wrapped up in that apathy of our holy service for God? That I don't care. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I'm a part of it or I'm not. It's like no big deal to me. I can take it or I can leave it kind of attitude. And yet that is exactly where the church is today. Oh, well, I know it's prayer meeting. It's probably about prayer meeting time now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I really don't feel like it. We become very apathetic to the work of God, to the things of God. Yeah, I know. Our neighbors probably, probably don't know the Lord. Our kids, they're growing up. They're growing up without anybody teaching them the truth. But what can I do about it? And we become very much back. I know there's not a lot you can do sometimes for your kids or for your grandkids. I understand that. But where's our heart at? Where's our heart at? He was very passionate in his prayer. His prayer had a spiritual purpose. I want to tell you what the soul of man is in danger. They're in danger. And he understood that. He, he understood that there needed to be a prayer for a spiritual work, a, something, an, an action of God himself that only God can do. He knew that. A lot of people have a prayer and their prayer doesn't have anything to do with a spiritual purpose. And I would, you know, of course you all know I was sick. I was sick for like two years. But my main thing was, and I still feel this way, whether I live or whether I die, I want God to get the glory in it. Living's great is all right. But if I fail God somewhere in the process, how terrible that would be. I want God to have all the glory, all of it, whether I lived or whether I died or whatever happened. I want to tell you what, what good is a healthy body if it can't serve God? And yet a lot of people, they're praying for healthy bodies. They're praying for the material blessings they're praying for. But what are they going to do with it if they got healed? What would they do with it if they got saved? If they, God began to bless them? What would they do with it if they got a lot of money? What would they do with it? They're not praying for a spiritual purpose. They're praying for self-indulgence. Even when we ask a blessing on our food, we need to pray. God, let me use this for your service. Give me strength to use for your service. If I'm not involved, if I'm not part of it, then what good is anything about my life if it doesn't have anything to do with God in it? I would tell you, there's a lot of people think that their whole life is wrapped up in their grandchildren. It's wrapped up in their kids and the ball games and it's wrapped up in their education or it's wrapped up in their jobs. It's wrapped up. I want to tell you what, you can lose all of that in one day and face what's really important then. All those things are just things. But so much of the church has walked away from God and they don't realize it. They don't have the discernment that the wrath of God is upon the children of disobedience. He prays as the psalmist did, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Folks, our prayer needs to be a prayer for some spiritual results. 
A lot of people want to watch something happen in somebody else's life. We want miracles. We want to see God do great things. But I'm telling you what, we never make ourselves available for that great need. You have to understand, for there to be a miracle in their life, there has to be a pretty big need for one. But how many of us make ourselves available? Lord, put that need in me. I can receive of your action, of you. Most people are not looking for a spiritual work of God in their lives today. They're just not looking for it. Looking for a lot of other things. They're hoping somehow that their help will come through politicians or their help will come through some kind of government or their help's going to come through their family and for their, through their friends, their help. I want to tell you, all those people may even try to do good for you, but nobody can do for you what the Lord can do and for what you really need. It was an urgent prayer. It was one that means right now. Right now, Lord, this is serious. I need it now without delay. It was a faith-filled prayer because he went to the one he knew he could and who would. Because God has always, always come through again and again. So he looked to that God. Are you looking to that God? And he begins to pray this particular prayer. Oh, Lord, revive thy work. Revive it. Revive thy work. To be revived is to be made alive, to be put on fire, to be animated, to give life. is something that brings back of, of renewed hope and vigor. And I tell you what, it gets needed pretty bad when people become languid, they become cold, they become without life, uh, without passion, and the passion for God. They begin to start going through just a form of stuff, and they don't really have any power behind it. And that happens every Sunday all across America and almost every church. There's people who go through the motions. It's time to stand and sing, okay? It's time to sit. It's time to give your money. It's time to do this. It's time to do that. It's time for us to shut up and listen. All right, it's time for us to say amen. It's time for us to go home. But there's no connection with God in the middle of it. They're just going through the motions. I don't tell you what, they need revived. They need the work of God at work in their lives again. And I want you to know, everybody needs it. I'm not picking out. I know a lot of us, we say, we think of revival. Or we think of, well, these sinners need to get saved. These pe- proud people need to humble themselves. You know what? God always comes and he begins to work with those who are workable first. He don't just come in and say, okay, I'm going to start grabbing a hold of these proud people and these sinners and I'm going to bring them to the altar. No, what he begins to work with is he begins to work with the people who are already listening, the people who are wanting, the people who are desiring, the people who have something, that have have a yearning for him. I will tell you what, he begins to work through that. And many times he can set those people on fire that their fire begins to burn and warm up a little coldness down the pew. Revival is when God, through an active force on the outside of us, begins to generate something in us. We can't revive ourselves. You can't do it. You can make all kinds of promises. You can make commitments. You can do a lot of things. But until God begins to do his work, 
in you. It's not going to last. What happens a lot of times is we begin to think we, we need new people. You know, our problem is we need new people. We need a new preacher. We need new singers. We need new teachers. We need, we need new people. We need new people who can, who've got more, who's different, who's better, and, who's, and who is more able and capable. And We just need new people. I want to tell you, you don't need new people. You think, oh, what we really need is we need new plans. Let's get our heads together and let's figure out what we can do to generate some excitement, to generate some morale, to generate some more commitment. we got to figure out what we got to do. And I'll tell you what, mankind starts operating like that. They go to one extreme or the other. They go to entertainment or through force. They don't use the right agency. So there's no agency that we can operate in that's actually going to impact and empower the thoughts and the hearts and souls of mankind. Because I cannot save a person. I cannot heal a person. I can't inspire a person. All I can do is become enough on fire for God that other people stand up and watch me. All I can do is for myself become so impassioned for the Lord and seek God with all my heart that God will show up. That's all you can do too. Programs are nice. Talent is wonderful. Entertainment can be amusing. I tell you what, there's nothing works like God's work. When God comes down and God begins to work, there's nothing going to work quite like that. No, we don't need new people. We don't need new plans. We need an utter hopelessness and a helplessness of our own situation and a dependency upon the Almighty God. I want you to know it's not going to get better outside of Him. It's not that you need a new preacher. It's not that you need a new... You need God. Revival has always been promised to the humble and to the contrite person. There are some conditions that show that revival is likely. And I know one of us, we, uh, sometimes we look at a certain situation and say, well, things look like they're getting better. And so we think that because it's getting better, we see a, a positive move of some sort, and we think, oh, maybe we're about ready for a revival. But I want you to know, usually when God brings a revival is when things look really bad. Whenever there's lawlessness, and there's apathy and deadness. And you think, I don't see how it ever can change. And I tell you what, if there's even one flicker of a light anywhere, God will show up. God will show up. The scripture said in Psalms 119, it says, It is time for thee, Lord, to work. For they have made void thy law. It's almost like there becomes an urgency for God to show up. And I think we're at a right time for God to show up. I've always told my congregation, I think the Lord's probably going to come, to church, come back on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. And they said, why? I said, because most of you aren't expecting him. That's not when you're expecting him. 
So he probably will come Wednesday night or Sunday night when we're having church and, and you all had plans for something else. See, I don't think a lot of people realize today that what they decide to do is they're actually making a vote for something. And I've I'm, I'm not been rude enough to say it to anybody, and I don't know anybody here that could even offend, so I'm going to say it. I've always wanted to say to people who decide to habitually miss church, I just want to go and say, oh, I heard you voted to close the church. I want you to say that to them. Because I know the first thing they'll say, oh, no, I would never do that. We don't want to have the church close. But I want to say, you voted that way with your feet. You voted to close it. When it comes prayer meeting time and you got five or six people only willing to show up for prayer, I would tell you the rest of them voted that it shouldn't have prayer meeting no more. That was the vote they made. Because they didn't show up. And I know we can, and I, and I am very considerate and I don't say those things to anybody to their face. I have to say I do think of it. A lot of people don't understand why they don't have victory in their life. But I don't know about you know much about ball games, but I know when we used to run ball games, basketball games at the Christian school, and we have a team that didn't show up, they forfeited victory every time. If you don't show, if you're a no-show, you forfeit your own victory. You can't win if you're going to be a no-show. God is looking, and I'll tell you what, the conditions are ripe for the Lord to show up and work. Now, as Brother Tony said, he's already said it. He said that, you know, if the Lord came back and really let us know how he felt, probably half of us would be at the altar and the other half run out of the church. And that's right. That's exactly right. Some people really say, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm ready, I want to get closer to God. And other people would be so scared because they know the wrath of God was on them. So don't always look for things to be better for you to begin to believe that God can revive. Because I want to tell you what, God can be, it can be the worst possible news at all. And God still has the power of life in his hands. Still has the power. When they first, when I first went to the hospital in January, they looked at me and they said, we don't know how you're alive. I said, well, I know it's God. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. Nobody lives with numbers like you got. They're just not alive. And I said, I know. Well, I didn't know that, but I, I said, I just know it's God. I want you to know it doesn't matter how dire the situation is, it's still God. It's still God. And I know my kidneys, according to them, are not functioning very good, and I can feel that a little bit in my body, that my kidneys don't, aren't working very good. But the way I look at it, God's still in charge, isn't he? He's going to keep me alive as long as he wants me to live, and I could live without kidneys if he wanted me to. I'm not going to go take them out and find out, but... I do believe he can keep me alive. Deadness is often a call for God to work. There's another sign I feel that is a sign of a revival. 
is, could easily happen. And this one here becomes a, a feeling of restlessness among God's people. A little bit of dissatisfaction with the status quo. They begin to have a hunger and a thirst for something more. They know that there's more to this than what they've seen and they felt. They're eager. They're anxious. But they're looking and they're wanting and they're trying to figure it out. And they're seeking God and they don't know what's happening. But something's changed inside them. And they know they're just not comfortable going through the motions anymore. Let me tell you what, that's a good sign. Revival is going to happen. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, or they shall be filled. When you start having a hunger for God, a hunger for holiness, a hunger for the righteousness, a hunger for more of God in your life, I want to tell you what, God cannot stand back and just say, ah, let them starve. He won't. He's going to show up on the scene and he's going to start feeding. He's going to start blessing. He's going to start bringing somebody up because there's somebody who cares. I don't tell you what, it usually isn't a widespread thing, but it'll be two or three that begin to say, you know what? I just feel in my soul and my spirit, we need something more. We need something more powerful. We need the manifest presence of God. We need to see his holiness exalted. We need to see his glory shown. Something we needed in our congregations. We needed in our lives. We need God. I want to tell you what. You begin to keep and you begin to keep seeking and keep seeking and keep seeking. I want to tell you what. It's ripe for revival. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. David, I believe, had that all the way up until he's old man. And this has been kind of my prayer also. It says, now also when I'm old and gray-headed, oh God, forsake me not, until I've shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. That's in Psalm 71, 18. God, don't stop working with me. Don't stop working with me. Because I want everybody that's here this morning to know how strong God is. I want them to understand the power that's in God. The the, the possibilities that's with God. The love that God has. How willing and how gracious and how merciful and how capable our God is. I would tell you what, we've come to a generation who they feel like their God is small, their God is, is powerless, their God is not able, and they're not relying on that God for anything. Let the Lord create that restlessness in your spirit. Let the, it was a common, miracles were a common occurrence in the early church. It was not something extraordinary. It was the ordinary way of life. And yet today we've gotten to the place that there was something miracle, some miraculous work of God take place. It all becomes such a, ah. It is an awe thing when God does it. But no one gets the credit for it. It should be all given to God. God should receive the credit. What happens is today, anytime we see God do some work, all of a sudden we begin to create heroes on this earth. I'm going to tell you what the Lord needs to keep being our hero. And the miracles of God should just be as common and as ordinary in the church today as they were in the early church. If I'm wrong, 
about that. The Lord can correct me, I know. But that gives me a hunger. A statement like that gives me a hunger. I see souls that need to be saved. I see bodies that need to be healed. I see people whose lives are broken, who who feel like they've just come to the bottom of everything, and it seems like it's over, and they're depressed and lonely. You know what? We still have God who can do anything for anybody. I'll tell you, the children of Israel during captivity, they become so depressed. The Bible says that they hung their harps on the willow trees. They don't want to even sing anymore. How could they sing the songs of Zion? Those were songs of victory. They didn't feel like they even related to that anymore. And yet there's a lot happened to a lot of people today. And for whatever excuses we use, I want you to know God's bigger than your excuse. God's bigger than your excuse. You can say, well, I'm sick. God's bigger than that. I'm old. God's bigger than that. I'm going to tell the Lord I've got so much I want to see done, and I don't know how much time i got left to see it done. And I'm always reminded, you know, God started Moses at 80, so I still got a good place to start. What about it? It's his work. Revive thy work. Only God can give life. Only God can make new creatures. Only God can save and heal. Only God can redeem and deliver and redeem. Only God can renew. Only God can bring glory. Only God can change the situation. Only God. He's provided all that is ever needed for his work. He initiated it. He wanted it. He has provided for it. And there's no one with an excuse. Because God has provided everything you need. He's provided it all. But more than that, He is the agent. He is the power. He is that which enables. The Bible says that He's given it because of His grace. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of people have received the grace of God in vain. In other words, it was to no profit for them. They're not, they didn't take the grace and turn it around for a profit for God. When God saved you by his grace, we have become indebted to him, even though you can never pay it back. You become indebted to him. He's put an investment in you. He's looking for a return on that investment. And yet so many times people take his grace, gobble it up, and feel like they're a little satisfied. And that's all they need. It's just they just got blessed. That's all they wanted. It's just to be blessed. What have you? Have you taken God's grace and what he's done for you in the past? Not appreciated it? Did you use it properly? Did you allow his grace to change you? To strengthen you? Last Sunday morning I preached a message. What have you done with grace? What have you done with it? He says, we know it's his work, and all of us here know his work, but he uses a part. He says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years. 
I don't know how much Habakkuk knew about the, the uh, understanding of how many years it was going to be for them to be in captivity, that it was going to be 70 years before they could be delivered from captivity, but he understood that they were in the midst of it right then. I don't know about you all right now, but right now we're in the midst of stuff. You are in the midst of it. You can look at your recent past, your today, and you can look at your possible future. And a lot of us, you feel like, you know, I don't know where I'm at in the, in the, in the course of all of this. I don't know what's going to be happening. Sometimes we look at the past and, and we say, the, you know, it was hard. It was, I'm, I'm tired. I'm weary from the struggle at all. I've got some bitter regrets. There's pain in my life from the problems that I've had. I, I'm, I'm, I'm at this point that I don't really know how my past can even help me because I'm in the midst of those years. You might look at your life right now and say, well, right now, where is God? How is God showing up in my life now? I'm in the midst of it all. It's in the thick of it all. And sometimes our problems are our own fault. But thank God we have a God who knows how to save us from those too. But we can get ourselves in such a mess and the troubles and the trials of life can be so great and so powerful that we feel like we don't know how, how long is this going to last? Those of you who are getting older, you start, you start thinking about, and what's the future going to look like? Is it going to be more of the same? Perhaps my years are few. Perhaps my years are few. I don't know. I didn't believe the doctor, but the last time I was in, a couple of weeks ago in the hospital, and he said, he said, I just want you to know, you've got six to nine months to live. And I said, well, Lord, i got a lot to do in six to nine months. But I told the doctor, I said, one thing you haven't counted in. He said, your numbers are really, really bad. I know they are. He's not a liar. I know they were. But I said, one thing you need to know. He said, they, I, I said, you don't know this, but when I first came, they were a lot worse than they are. And I said, God kept me alive. I said, you got to figure God in on this. He's going to keep me as long as he wants me. I said, but I want you to know one thing. If I die, I'm going to die happy. I'm going to die happy. I don't know what my years ahead look like. But with all my heart and with all my determination, it's going to be for Jesus to the last breath I breathe. With all my heart. I don't know what the years ahead look like for you. How many or how few. How certain or uncertain they may be. Whether there's going to be conflict or sickness or struggle. I don't know what the midst what's going to happen in the midst of you years. But we're all right now in the midst of the years. 
And every once in a while we find moments of blessings and hope and help and and things are great. But one thing we need to know, that our life is not dependent upon our circumstances. Your life is not dependent upon your doctor and your medicines. Your life is not dependent upon your social status or your friends. Your life is not dependent upon any of those things. Your life is dependent upon an almighty God who's able to do anything, anywhere, at any time with anything, with nothing at all. It's where our life becomes dependent upon. So in the midst of the years, Lord, I'm in the midst of the years right now. You're in the midst of those years. What are you praying for? He prays specifically. Lord, in the midst of these years, he says, make known Make known. In the midst of these years, Lord, reveal yourself. Reveal yourself of who you are. Not only to me, but reveal yourself to other people. Reveal your character. Reveal your holiness. Reveal your grace. Oh, gee, what God's done it before. He can reveal himself. I think each spring, we've come up here, and of course, we've already kind of had our spring down south. But I'm looking up here, come up here, and you see the red buds now starting to bloom, and, and it's just beautiful lined on the interstate. And, and, I, and I just see the, I love that light green that comes out when the trees are starting to bloom, the leaves. You know, you see, and after a while, you start seeing the tulips and the different things begin to just pop up out of the ground, and, and, and you see the, uh, the bees and everything begin to start to work and, and move as, as it begins to warm up. And you think, winter didn't take it all. It didn't destroy it. That somehow deep inside the seed and the root of all that God put on this earth, he has a way of reviving anything he wants to revive. And that's exciting to me when you come and you see the spring come back alive again. And you know what? I believe that there's seasons spiritually that the Lord allows some dark, hard winters to come to us in the midst of those years. But I'm going to tell you what, he's always comes back to spring hope anew in your life because he's the eternal God of hope. During the midst of those years, I hadn't really thought about this much. But during those dry, hard times, God had been doing some wonderful things. There was Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Amos, Micah, Ezra, Ezekiel, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Obadiah, Isaiah, Nahum, Haggai, Malachi. Just to name a few. There were prophets. And then there were guys like Zerubbabel that God stood up and used, even though Satan stood against him, to resist him. God had been all through the midst of those years faithful to his people. Oh yeah, God knew how to show up in a lion's den. God knew how to show up in a fiery furnace. God knew how to show up in the Persian's palace and deliver the Jews. God still knows how to show up. He hasn't forgotten. 
how to revive you again. You think it might not be possible. Let me tell you what, God is able to restore and renew and revive and he'll do it again and again and again. He says, Lord, make yourself known. Make yourself known. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. You see, the wrath of God is actually God's righteous judgment. God has a right for wrath. God is right in having wrath. And whatever God does is right. To be honest, because mankind has turned their back on an almighty God, they're, they're standing in that fearful, fearfulness of the wrath of God, whether they know it or not. When you've walked away from the passion that God put in your life, you're actually heading in toward the wrath toward God. The wrath of God. When we live in disobedience, which is something that most Christians today want to just excuse as though it's just some sleight of hand little problem. It's no big deal. But disobedience actually brings the wrath of God on you. Habakkuk knew that. Habakkuk knew that the people had turned their backs on God, had actually created a God of their own liking, had done whatever they wanted to do, whatever they pleased. They had become more and more like those that they were in captive with and around of the world. They had lost their holy zeal. They had lost their desire for service. They had lost so much of just even the remembrance of their own history of the power of an almighty God who could part a sea, who could bring bread from heaven, who could bring water out of a rock. They had forgotten so much of that. And they had turned their back instead to follow gold, images, their own passions, and their idea was we just got to get along, go along to get along. If we don't just go along to get along, we won't even survive this captivity. And that's the mindset a lot of people have today. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm relying on an almighty God who's still able to do to, and save to the uttermost. He's able to do anything. I just wanted to give a little spirit check this morning. Where are you? Where are you in your spirit? Where are you in your zeal for God? Where are you in allowing God to do a work in you? I'll tell you what a lot of people have done today. Is they sit back. Instead of looking at their own spirit, they start taking a judgment on the whole church. Well, if we'd had better Sunday school teachers, I tell you what, if the women of the church would stop being the way they are, if we had some men who would actually stand up for what was right. Well, I just can't even hardly stand to hear that person testify. If they only knew what kind of person she really was. All those things become judgment on the church. 
They'll say, we don't have the Spirit of God moving in our midst like we used to have way back when, such and such. We don't have this anymore, and we don't have that anymore, and we don't see the... the and so it becomes a, a, an indictment against the whole group. And I'm telling you what, many times it's the truth. I'm not saying what you say is not the truth. Many times it's the truth. But that's not where we're to do the checkup. Our checkup has got to start right here, right first. Well, what about me? I don't know about you, but I find a lot of people find it easy to criticize everything, but those very same people are not the ones that are on the altar, on their knees, praying for God to come in. They're not the ones who are saying, you know what, you need help in the kitchen? I'm here. They're not the ones who are saying, you know what, whatever you need, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do to to see this thing come forward. No, they're waiting to see back who's going to make it happen. Yeah, nobody. What about you? Is our spirits on fire for the Lord? Are you on fire for God? Is there, is there, a, is there that hunger? Is it the thirst? Is there something deep inside that says, I do want more of God. I do want more of God. I believe you're here this morning. I believe there are people here this morning that are saying, I'm so hungry for more of God. I'm hungry for more of God. You don't have to have a lot of things going on in your life. You don't see, it don't have to start looking better immediately. I want to tell you what, you just start having a hunger for God. God will show up. God will show up. And that's what we need. Lord, in the midst of these years, bring me some hope. Reveal yourself. And all this that, that, that you have a right to do to bring down judgment upon this group of people, to bring down judgment and wrath upon them. Lord, I'm just begging you. Remember, you're a merciful God. He is a merciful God. Mercy is a work of God, it's something that He does. And the Bible lets us know He will revive. Again, you turn to the Lord, he will bring revival to you. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning and great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord has promised. Jesus has promised. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have, but have eternal life. Jesus also let us know that he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, and that the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The problem with a lot of people in the midst of their years, they've grown weary with everything, even praying. It happens. It happens. In the midst of my sickness, I felt like I couldn't even pray hardly. I felt like perhaps God wasn't even listening. I didn't know. 
But I would tell him all the time, it's okay, Lord, if you take me. I just want you to get glory in that somehow. If you, I don't know how he can get glory in taking me, but if he can, I want him to get glory in that. I didn't know how to pray. And I thank God for those people who come up under me and begin to pray, 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 and sought God for, for me. But I want you to know it doesn't really, life is good, but living with him is the best. Living with him is even better. Where are you in the midst of these years? Are you praying, Lord, revive your work in me? There was one time I talked to this girl. She was 18 at the time. And she, uh, she came to me and she said, Sister Sarah, I just don't feel God like I used to feel God. And she says, I want to. She said, almost 13 she said, God just seems so real to me. And she said, lot, lot has happened since I was 13. She said, but I just don't feel God in my life like I used to. And I said, well, God hadn't changed. And I say that to you this morning. I know sometimes you feel like I just don't feel God, but God hasn't changed. And more than that, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm just saying that God's always where he always was. And he still wants you where he, with him. And he's still willing to reach out and to pull you and to draw you like he did that young girl. She got things rededicated to the Lord again. Got back on fire for the Lord. Began singing and, and had one. And I saw her a few months later, like three or four months later. She was so excited. She said, God has done something for me and he's brought me closer to him than I've ever been before. And she said, I'm so excited. I was too, was excited for her, especially because that was the last testimony I ever heard from her. It was a car wreck and a cattle trailer had come loose from another uh, a vehicle she was facing. It come loose from that. And it just cut the top of her car completely off. Destroyed her and her friend. But she was on her way to church on a Sunday night. And she was ready to go. She was excited about God. And she left the world that way. I don't, she was young. I don't even know, she wasn't even 25, I don't think. When she passed, I can remember the conversation we had. I just want to feel God again. I think you're here this morning that you feel the same way. You just want God. You want to feel God again. More powerfully in your life than you ever have before. I want to tell you what, Satan has come in, the trials have come in, the problems have come in, the things have happened, the world has begun to decay, in, and there's all kinds of things that want to chill your fervor for the Lord, to wipe out your passion and your zeal. All the time. 
You stand up to testify, the devil will tell you what an idiot you are and make you feel like everybody in the church thinks you're stupid. And it doesn't matter. I mean, he does stuff like that all the time. You're trying to chill your passion for God. But I want you to know God put a passion in you that he wants it to be a light that burns and burns and burns entirely and continually for him through everything you are, everything you do. I want to tell you what, when you get hot enough on fire for God, you'll start melting some of the ice around you. So God's always going to take the people who already, who are humbling themselves, who want to bow, who's seeking him. He he starts taking them, he starts working with them, and he starts working them around, and he starts uh, stirring them up a little bit more, and they get warmer and warmer and warmer. And I'm going to tell you what, everybody that's in the church will soon find uh, that there's somebody here that's on fire for God. And it'll start melting some of the other ice. Amen? Let's stand together as we sing a song. Let's turn the service to Brother Tony. But I do want to, I do want to remind you this morning. Revival is going to start with just a few. If you're willing to let God work in you, are you? Are you willing to let God work? Do you have that hunger for the Lord? Lord, it's, it's me. It's me this morning. I need you.